This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You take control of the airwaves on this, the live Saturday edition, as we kick off hour number one. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com, the place to go. All the features you'll find there are completely free. Once again, that is freetalklive.com. To start things out, there's a new research that's been done that I find pretty interesting. And it's going to be, I think, probably a little bit controversial. According to LiveScience.com, children in homes full of books and educational games are less likely to get spanked, according Hmm. to new research. Recent studies have found that corporal punishment can cause significant antisocial behavior, such as lying, cheating, and hitting in children as they grow older. Then the reason uh, that uh, the hitting is caused is because spanking kids teaches kids that violence solves problems. So it's inevitable that they'll uh, continue the cycle of abuse. I'm not entirely sure I agree with that. I didn't expect you to. So Andrew Grogan Taylor of the University of Michigan and his colleague Melody Diotis of the University of Kentucky wanted to find out what factors, independent of others, predict whether or not a parent is likely to spare the rod. Their analysis of answers from 800 respondents on questions about their use of corporal punishment as well as many other family issues arrived at the intellectual stimulation factor. Grogan Taylor told Life Science, quote, This is a little bit surprising for parenting researchers that cognitive or intellectual stuff would cross over into behavioral stuff. Real people might know this altogether, but researchers have tended to separate the two areas. A home environment that's intellectually stimulating gives children an opportunity to work through and practice their emotions, think through the consequences of their actions, and imagine possibilities for alternative actions in the future, he said. Quote, Allowing children to stretch their brains in that kind of way is allowing children to behave less antisocially down the road, he said. Now, it seems to me, and there's more uh, more interesting um, factoids coming up here, but it, it seems to me that they're sort of beating around the bush on this, and uh, they're not coming right out and saying, essentially, the parents that... Uh, the, the, the dumber parents, the ones that are just sort of sitting around drinking beer at night... Uh, they don't really read books. They watch television. They're essentially saying those are the ones that are more likely to spank their kids, the the less creative parents. You know, I think that uh, spanking kids is probably done by uh, the vast majority of parents. That's just the way I imagine that things seems to, be. to be. I think that those are the statistics in America that the vast majority uh, spank. And um, we've had call. We've talked about this issue on the air many times, and we've had callers who called in who have been from all. Um, income brackets that have said that they've spanked their kids and right. to I think that this is uh, I think this is a hit piece. This is a hit piece on uh, spanking and um it it sounds to me like they're taking their numbers and they're twisting them as much as they can. The, well, it, the researchers also found that because pro- most people have been spanked and most people are not in prison for violent crimes. No, no, that, that, I don't think that was the suggestion here. I didn't make that suggestion, and the article didn't make that suggestion. Where did that come from? Because you said that uh, people learn um, that uh, from spanking that uh, violence solves problems. Yeah, they do learn that, and then they spank their kids, and then their kids spank their kids, and it's not necessary. It's un- it's the most uncreative parenting uh, discipline method. I think that uh, when you're talking about children that are five and under, they don't have the, lang- the linguistic skills mm-hmm. to uh, be able to – you can't talk to them about what it is that they've done. You can't reason it out with them. Uh-huh. You, you can't lecture them or th- those kind of things. Time out probably is it, pretty difficult um, with uh, younger children. I think that uh, spanking is, is something that should uh, exist in a, a parent's uh, quiver of uh, resources. Yeah, and I personally find spanking uh, abhorrent. 
I think it's uh, it's abuse of children, and uh, it, and the the fact that you claim that ch- uh, kids under five can't be handled by parents is rebutted by all of the sets of parents that don't spank their children. So there's it's clearly possible to uh, raise children without involving spanking. Well, when you say raise, I mean, what does uh, will they grow to adulthood? They most certainly will. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, yeah, it can be done. I just think that uh, it's it's quite possible you could end up with an unruly kid for a period of time. In their adulthood, they'll probably work that out for themselves and uh, learn some lessons. But uh, you know, in in their younger years, it the fact is the world does solve problems did, by violence. And you? if you're, um, you know, for one thing, if you're violent right now, if if an adult is violent. Violence will be used to solve that problem, and I think that uh, showing kids what a realistic path of what life is going to be like is fair. You think it's important to encourage them to use violence to solve problems? No. I'm telling you that society uses violence to solve problems. So we should just continue using violence in our own personal lives. It's my job as a parent to teach the child about the world. The world will, if if, if I go out and beat somebody up, mm-hmm. then a cop's going to come along and he's going to take me to jail. And if I want to be um, you know, violent with the cop, he's going to beat me up. Right. So I'm going to be confined, I'm going to be beaten, and legitimately so. That's an so that's to, to beat your kids, is what you're saying. I'm not, I, I'm not suggesting you beat your kids, I'm suggesting that you apply a spanking when the time is right. necessary. Uh, I think that you should use other methods. I don't think that spanking should be the first thing that you go to every mm-hmm. single time. And I think that it should be used on younger children. I don't think it's a good idea to take your 16-year-old son out in the backyard and beat the crap out of him with I don't think I don't think the age matters. I think it's twisted at any age. But I would like to know from you if uh, if you are a spanker, or if you are someone who uh, has raised children without using spanking, and how you feel about it. Why did you choose to not spank your kids? Was it more challenging for you, as Mark is suggesting? Mark, who by the way has never had children. Uh, Mark, who's a, a, Ian, who has never had children either. That's right, but I was raised by parents who didn't spank me. And I was raised by parents who did. And you turned out whacked out, in my opinion. <laughs> what? what, uh, what? So, <laughs> At least I leave my house. one 800 You know what? You keep attacking me with that, and it's just not true. I was standing out on the street corner today for an hour. So I've heard about enough of that. Hey, I, look, I was outside of my house for over 10 hours today. Good for you. What were you doing? I was going around, taking care of Driving from store to store, yeah. Well, from one heated place okay. to the next. Yeah, thanks. I was standing out in the cold for an hour I straight. understand you're standing out in the cold. That doesn't... I'm talking about getting out and meeting people and talking to them. Don't give me them. any crap, Mark, because I was out there, and you know I get out there. I saw you. I, I know that you get out a couple few times a week. 1-800-259-9231 is the toll-free number. The Packet8.net toll-free line for you. What I want to know from you is your spanking history as a child were you spanked how did you feel about it do you feel like it had an effect on your uh, your adult life uh, also as a parent do you spank if so why and if not why not 1-800-259-9231 other interesting uh, statistics from the study the researchers also found that protestants were more likely to spank than parents with other religious affiliations. Hmm. The neighborhood, geographic, region, or economic status of a family made no difference in the use of spanking, but children's odds of getting whacked decreases as they grow older by 3% per year. Imagine. And parents of black children were more likely to use corporal punishment than parents of white children. This, hold on. this is interesting. Parents of black children. That doesn't say black parents. It says parents of black children. I guess that is what it says. I mean, so if I adopted a black kid, would I be more likely to beat it? I, I don't know. 
to reduce the, the use of physical punishment, it may be beneficial to focus on interventions that teach parents to increase the amount of intellectual stimulation in the home, says Grogan Taylor, uh, Kaler, who has also done research showing that children with fewer behavioral problems come from homes with increased intellectual stimulation. So if there's more things for your kids to get interactive with around mm-hmm. your home, maybe they'll act out less and maybe they'll... There'd be less need for spanking. Man, I had so many books in my household when I was growing up, and that was, of course, the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, obviously, I got spanked. Um, I've revealed that. So, gosh, I mean, we had just libraries of books and books, and even kids' yeah. books and Your adult mom books. Your is, uh, is a dog sh- uh, lady. She mm-hmm. shows dogs at, at shows. And a pro- Protestant. Does she, uh, does she hit the dogs? Um, when they're bad? Rarely do you. Um, does she? Uh, no. Barely. Okay, so she treats dogs better than you. Just wanted to check that. Uh, social workers and chi- uh, child and family advocates trying to reduce the use of corporal punishment should pay attention to the role of cultural factors in parents' beliefs about spanking. They said parents often spank because they think it's an effective approach to discipline. Child and family advocates should suggest to parents more effective alternatives to spanking, they write, while acknowledging mothers and, fire, uh, mothers and fathers' desire to be good parents. It's easy enough to justify disciplining a kid... But physically or otherwise, in spanking study found what you might expect, that kids who act out or externalize their problematic behavior are more likely to be spanked, while children who tend to withdraw inwards and become anxious or depressed are less likely to be, uh, to be spanked. The researchers were not were surprised to find that factors other than bad behavior have an effect on whether, a kids, uh, whether or not kids are spanked. 1-800-259-9231. Once again, are you a parent, and if so... Do you spank your kids? Why? Or did you choose to not spank your children? And did that make raising them more challenging for you? Yeah, what was that like? Did it encourage your kids to act out more? I personally don't believe that's the case. 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It is a live Saturday edition of the program. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. The packet8.net toll-free line. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can t- uh, you can also join us on our website at freetalklive.com. we got all kinds of great features, and they're all completely free, including the wiki, wiki.freetalklive.com. Get you to it. It is the, uh, it's like the listener editable version of our website. Hundreds of pages have been created by listeners like you, and you can go there and uh, interact with it as well at wiki.freetalklive.com. And do you enjoy building things? Woodcraftplans.com has hundreds of blueprints for things like lawn chairs, rocking horses, yard shadows, fine furniture, and more. Step-by-step instructions and full-size patterns guide all skill levels. Woodcraftplans.com supports Free Talk Live, so please support Woodcraftplans.com. That's Woodcraftplans.com. Talking spanking. The statistics are out, and studies, uh, the study shows from the University of Michigan and University of Kentucky, 800 respondents were questioned about their use of corporal punishment, and it turns out that children in homes full of books and educational games are less likely to get spanked. Now, the research is suggesting that that's because the, the kids get interactive with the books and games and they, uh, they, they work out their emotions uh, through, through these different uh, interactive environments. But I think that the, uh, the, the reading between the lines of this article is just simply to say that – and they claim that there's no difference in – Income or income geographic all area, right. all those kind of things. And that amazes me. I would, I would assume that uh, – Higher income brackets are probably less likely to uh, use spanking. You know, I don't know why more... you would assume that. Just, because I... just because you've got more money doesn't mean you're a creative parent. 
No, it's just it's just a thought. And it's my suggestion, as always, that uh, spanking is something that is employed by the least creative of parents, parents that can't figure out um, more constructive, creative ways to handle their children's misdeeds and misbehavior. And I'd like to hear from from parents tonight to either back me up or back you up, Mark, in support right, my, it's, of spanking. It's my, it's my opinion. Well, I... In support of spanking? Yeah, I guess I'm in support of spanking. I think that parents should be able to, uh, you know, they need to be able to pop on the butt, discipline their children in whatever manner it is that they're um, they they just deem fit at the time. I mean, hopefully they're thinking about it. Hopefully they're not uh, going to spanking uh, the first thing. You know, the the child acts out and whop whop whop, you start pounding Mm -hmm. it. Um, But you know, you think that's too far? You think that crosses a line? I think that it I using think, it as a first uh, first approach. Yeah, I do. I think okay. it's unwise. Are you a are you a parent who spanks? Are you a parent who has chosen to not spank your kids? And has your choice to not spank your kids negatively affected your ability to uh, effectively discipline them? I personally believe that um, I I was raised by parents that didn't spank, and they had a fine time with me, and I wasn't exactly the best of kids. I don't think. But different um, children are different, um, yeah. you know, and I think that uh, a parent needs to needs to think about that too. When you when you have a sensitive, introspective child, since I'm not a parent, I can't come up with uh, alternatives to spanking. I've never really thought about it too hard. But if you are somebody who is a non-spanking parent, what are some of the most creative alternatives, most effective alternatives that you've discovered that really um, help get your kids back in line? 800-259-9231 is the toll-free number. Let's go to the phones and talk to Lee in Indianapolis. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hi there. Hi, Lee. Lee. I actually am with Mark on this one. Uh, I have a 6-year-old and a 3-year-old son, and I was raised in a non-spanking family. My husband, on the other hand, was raised with a very healthy fear of his father. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we grew up, we were high school sweethearts, so we kind of did all our bad stuff together. And to be honest with you, me coming from a non-spanking family, I would say that I had less, a, a little healthy fear I learned from my husband is a good thing, because he was usually the voice of reason when I would try and drag him into trouble. Mm. As a result, uh, the children that we have, um, we, I think you're absolutely right, the five and under rule, because I, I thought it was humorous that, that you see it as lack of creativity in parenting, because I don't know if you've tried to reason with a three-year-old when he tries to touch a hot stove. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to explain that, or even, even more, a two-year-old gets into everything, but their verbal skills are very limited, so sometimes... The best way to teach a lesson not to do something, i.e. a hot stove, touching a hot stove or something of that nature, is to give them a pop on the butt. And I think another thing that I noticed was you were kind of uh, trading off the word spanking and beating, and they are not the same thing. I believe believe God gave us a nice cushy booty to sit on and be spanked when we're small. Mm. Um, As far as the demographics of my family in particular um, are... Our income this year is about 150000 I'm a Purdue graduate. My husband is a Purdue graduate, 
and also has a master's degree from University of Tennessee. Uh, there are books in our house. And I will be honest with you that you're absolutely right. As a child gets older, there are most definitely more creative ways and more effective ways to discipline because my child that is six is getting ready to be seven. And we very rarely, I can even remember the last time we spanked him because I can take the TV away from him or I can explain right. to him, Jack, if you do this, you're going to lose this. And usually that's all it takes. But I'll tell you what, try dealing with a three-year-old in any other way but a spanking. How do you, but how do parents, okay, if that, I see where you're coming from, but how do parents who don't spank deal with people, uh, with little kids under five? How do they do it? Truthfully, I, I think you end up, and I, and I, this comes from my mother as a high school, or as an elementary school counselor and deals with families, with children, with behavioral issues. And I think you're absolutely right that at the end of the day, I think if you've got good parents who try and raise you well, whether they spank or not, you, you end up okay usually. But in the early ages, you do end up with kids that don't, don't have respect for authority, I guess, is the best that, that maybe have the attention problems. And don't have fear of punishment. It sounded like uh, when you were in your, your teens there that, uh, you know, from what you I said. No fear. And I And I was a cheerleader. I was the homecoming queen and prom queen. I was not someone who you would say got into big trouble, but I made some Oh, I think choices. that the cheerleaders are always getting in big trouble. Yeah, I never trusted you know, them. No, they don't I get in trouble. Choices, but I can safely say that I was that I was dra- dragging my my sweet good boyfriend down the wrong road very many <laughs> times because <laughs> he was scared to death his dad would wring his neck if and and he wasn't spanked as an older child either but it just something it instilled a fear in him that it wasn't necessarily a fear of a quote unquote beating or anything like yeah. that but he had a healthy fear of his parents and I <laughs> think that. A lot of times nowadays, and I hate to use the word liberal and conservative, I am a Republican and I'm very conservative, but I think a lot of times there's kind of a, and I'm not using this in a political way, but a a more liberal view of this touchy-feely, let's talk to our kids and let's deal with their emotions. And, you know, sometimes I think that's appropriate, especially with an older kid or a teenager, but when they're little... They can't have that kind of conversation, so All right. sometimes they just need a good swat. Lee, thanks for the call. We appreciate hearing from you, 800-259-9231. There are certain people that will call in and defend spanking that uh, sound very reasonable, and she's one of them. <laughs> and it seems to me that most people that call in but it seems to me to be a, it seems to me to be an unreasonable thing to do, and I really would like to hear from a parent that did manage to raise their kid uh, without spanking them at a young age. And is what Lee's saying true? Did they walk all over you? Did they take advantage of you? Uh, that's what I'd like to know. 800-259-9231 is the toll-free number. You take control. It is Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free. But if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You bring up anything toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll-free line for you, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site, we give them away, including archives and entire years' worth of the show. 
right there on the front page of the website for your downloading convenience. Grab them up because they're for free at freetalklive.com. What's your liberty issue? Privacy? Register now for the February 2007 New Hampshire Liberty Forum. Speakers include real, anti-Real ID activist Jim Harper from the Cato Institute. Also in attendance will be New Hampshire residents and legislators active in the fight against the national ID card. Freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. That's freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum for more information and to register. 1-800-259-9231. Talking corporal punishment. The statistics are out. And it shows that kids who live in homes with more books and educational games are less likely to get spanked. It also shows that Protestants are the most likely than any other parents with other religious affiliations to spank their kids. Interesting, other studies have shown that more than 90% of parents of toddlers say they've spanked their child at least once. And to be honest, my parents did spank me one time when I was a child. But then they swore it off after that, and they uh, they realized it was the wrong thing to do. Didn't like the experience, at, at the very least. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I guess they didn't like the experience. Right. I'm sure I didn't. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's kind of the point. About 61% of mothers, 3- to 5-year-olds, had spanked their child in the past week. Boys are more likely to be spanked than girls. I'll bet that's true. Spanking can continue into adolescent years. People in rural areas... As a boy, I would... I was dangerous you know i'd get on top of the couch and jump off into the the, the cushions set on the floor i mean, I'd, I'd you if if there was something i could jump off of i would jump off of it and i think the older a uh, child gets if spanking continues the sicker it gets i mean i don't think that I, I think there's definitely a scale of sickness here i think it's all kind of sick but i think the older the kid is if you've got a a 10 year old or a 7 or 8 year old and you're spanking them Especially if you're asking them to go and get the switch and all of that. I mean, you've got a a sick obsession. Some people are obsessed with spanking, and I I find it really disturbing. 1-800-259-9231. I want to hear from a parent or set of parents, parent who has raised children without employing spanking. Do you feel like it was more challenging for you? Do you feel like spanking is the easy way out? What are some alternative methods to disciplining a, a young person under the age of five as opposed to spanking them. Uh, people in rural well, areas... if you're coming out against spanking, shouldn't you have some ideas for uh, you know what people should be doing? I mean, other than just don't hit your kids. I mean, you know, let them run amok? That's not what I'm suggesting. Bad handcuffs. little boys every... Handcuffs. Tasers. Tasers. I don't, I'm not a parent, Mark. I'm not pre- presuming to be a parent. That's why I'm asking for parents to call in. Okay? But you I'm are just, presuming to I'm tell parents that they host. shouldn't... Hit their kids. I think it's wrong to hit kids, and there have been there are people I know who are raised by their parents that weren't beaten. So I want to know what the secret is. There How must many? be a way to do it. Do you know my a, girlfriend wasn't really? beaten by her parents? My old girlfriend was, and she had some serious behavioral problems. As I a result. don't think that you can draw any conclusion from that. Most people were spanked. Do you think most people have behavioral problems? I don't know. One eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Anyway, I'm the talk show host. It's my job to ask questions. If I knew all of the answers, I'd be. A, Parental advisor. Or Don't something forget, like take that. shots at parents that use spanking. You get, that's your job too. People, you mean beat their kids? People <laughs> in rural areas and the South are more likely to spank. So parents in the South more likely. Uh, mothers spank children more often than fathers do. Now that's an interesting statistic. You would have thought that fathers would have been it would have been more often. That's mothers, what I would have thought. It seems to me mothers are with their kids more. So good point. And also that also sort of ties into the uh, to the the fact that women are more domestically violent than men are. They don't get reported as often, but it's the truth. 
as far as the, the reason why women, when they're beating their husbands or boyfriends, or don't get don't get reported is because the the boyfriends are embarrassed about it. They feel like they should be the man and you know deal with it and and move on. Whereas uh, they so they don't pick up the phone and and call anybody about it. Economic status of family makes no difference in the odds of spanking. African American parents are more likely than white parents to use corporal punishment. So there's the re, a rephrasing, I guess a more correct rephrasing of what was stated earlier. Conservative parents are more likely to use corporal punishment than parents with other religious affiliations. Excuse me, conservative Protestants. Parents who value. Who I wonder val- if that includes evangelicals inside of conservative Protestants, because that, that sometimes you can uh, maybe take that number out, or uh, they'll take that subgroup out, and sometimes they won't. Parents who value positive reinforcement tend to view spanking as in- inappropriate. Let's go to the phones to the fun amplifier line to Matt in Illinois. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, Matt. Hey, Ian. Hi, Mark. How are you guys doing? Great. Good, sir. What's up? Okay, well, I was spanked uh, a couple of times when I was a kid, but it was used very infrequently, and mostly when I did really, really bad things like light a fire and behind the garage, mm-hmm. a big bonfire behind the garage. So do you think that was more as and, punishment at that point? I mean, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, I was spanked as punishment for okay. lighting a big bonfire behind the garage. How old were you at the time? I mean, probably older than five if you're lighting bonfires. I was about four. Really? Wow. Oh, you were a little yeah. punk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I, I lit an M80 behind the garage uh, one time. At that time, I was about 10. Same garage? And, uh, <laughs> that garage? No, different you, house. You, different house. You were working but on these I garages. I into it by friends. So, um, but I was I was spanked a couple of times. Didn't really, you know, I kind of feel I deserved it. Didn't really... Uh, bother me all that much. Right. I I did something. My parents. I think my father was more concerned with my safety than he was with. Uh, I'm know, concerned with, with your safety. I'm going to put welts on your butt. Well, he didn't do that. He That's good. What did he spank you with? Butt. Was it bare hand? Did he uh, ask? Bare hand. Okay. Because some parents it's go crazy. Hand. Some parents go yeah, and they, well, they they have a spanking uh, wand. They have a <laughs> uh, a bat with holes in it. I've heard that uh, I, I've heard that using another item is a good thing because it's just, the child separates, um, you know, the separates in their mind <laughs> that they're getting, well, you know, so. the parents doing the spanking I, as opposed to the stick is doing the spanking to some extent. Not when you're ten. I think <laughs> I think you guys are reading way too much into this. I think people are paying way 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 too much attention. First of all, I don't think it's the child violence so much is control. It's teaching, it's teaching the child that the adult has control. I, I just that, feel like you can teach your kids adult. that in another way. I mean, if you're 10 years old, I think spanking a 10 year old is is a little bit sick. Uh, as an adult, you control dinner. You know, don't give the kid dinner or don't give him dessert. <laughs> you you, ad, you you're advocating starving a child as opposed no, to no, just giving him a spanking uh, it. <laughs> Scaring them a little bit. I advocate, you know, if, you know, now and then a spanking's fine. Please don't withhold dinner from your children. Oh, you can withhold dessert uh, from them, though. How yeah, about that? That makes a little more sense. But it, still, I don't... Take I don't, away the Nintendo I don't know that, Wii. <laughs> I, I think that that's a much yeah, better... You now, now, you, now I got uh, I got five kids, and I've only ever spanked my oldest, and I only spanked her once. Why? And I stopped that. Why? I, I don't remember why. It was something... Bodily functions, and she did something really nasty. Interesting. But um, I, I, I felt really bad after that. It seemed like she was fine, but I felt really bad. I would feel so, terrible. Uh, I totally understand. So, now you say you've got five kids. You've only spanked one of the five well, once. How did you deal right. with your uh, three three year olds and two year olds when they were acting out, or did you just get lucky and they never acted out? 
Exactly. They were all my kids were always real good, and they were always real good about listening. Did you have uh, Did you have a, a a household, or do you have a household like the study is suggesting, where there are educational games, books, things for the kids to interact with that might uh, keep them distracted from doing terrible things? A lot of Nintendo. Hey, there you go. Thanks yeah, for the call. <laughs> Matt, we appreciate hearing from you, sir. 800-259-9231. Let's talk to Trevor in Washington, listening on KBBOKUSA. Hello, Trevor. How are you doing? Hey, great. What's on your mind? Good. Hey, I, I don't think I've heard anybody called in with multiples. I have a six-year-old girl and a sweat, set of twins, boy-girl. Okay. <clears throat> and... You know, a lot of people can say, oh, well, I've never had to spank my child and so on and so forth. But have they had a strong-willed child? I have a strong-willed child. I have three children. The oldest is not as strong-willed as the girl twin. The boy twin isn't quite as strong as the girl twin either. But let me just say, she was kicking the little boy in the head when she was still in the womb, and she never stopped. Wow. Absolutely. And she was a very strong-willed child. And if she didn't get her way in the playpen, she would bite once she got her teeth. I want to hear Good a little Lord. bit more. If you can hold on, Trevor, I want to bring you back. Sure. I want to ask you a little bit more about your situation. 800-259-9231. Do you spank or have you managed to raise your kids without it? If so, how? This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the live Saturday edition of the program. You can take control of the airwaves. Toll free at 800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. That's 1-800-259-9231. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features there, we give them away. But we do ask that you voluntarily support the show by maybe buying some stuff. Head over to store.freetalklive.com. And you'll find that we've got Free Talk Live stuff like uh, hats, Free Talk Live t-shirts. We've got the Free Marketeer flag. We've got free bumper stickers. Head over to store.freetalklive. And they're very sharp. Very yellow and black, like our logo, and uh, high contrast, high visibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, so head over to store.freetalklive.com to place your order, or be a cheapskate and get yourself a free bumper sticker. Either way, uh, we'd be happy. Store.freetalklive.com. Back to the phone. Zach just uh, – dr- oh, it wasn't Zach. It was Trevor that we were on the line with, and he's still there. Trevor in Washington listening on KUSA. You're back on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, funny you mentioned Zach. That's the name of my son. <laughs> what a coincidence. Zach, Zach and Zoe are the twins. I was, I was explaining that Zoe's really strong-willed uh, mm-hmm. for, for a three-year-old, for any child. And I know a lot of people don't understand that because, you know, a lot of people are <clears throat> blessed with children. And, I, of course, I'm blessed with this child because she's strong-willed. She, I know that she's not going to take any guff from anybody when she gets older. Right. She's not going to be ramrodded into doing what she doesn't want to do. But at the same time, when they're young like this, you know, I unfortunately had to go through an experience with my six-year-old when she was two and a half where she was extremely ill and in, in, in intensive care and spent three weeks in a hospital. And, you know, at the end of the first week, they told us she was not going to make it. She's oh, got to be 24 wow. hours. So I know what it's like to go through and to understand that, oh, my gosh, I could lose this child. So obviously when I've got two little kids that are running around down on the street and cars are whizzing by, I'm not going to waste any time and spank their little butts when the consequence of their actions is going to be far more damaging to the spanking itself. So that's why I spank, to exhibit and to maintain some sort of control. Otherwise, they will run rampant. Strong-willed children respect uh, authority, but they push the limits for with mm-hmm. authority, and they, you have to earn your respect from them 
by being authoritative. And I see where you're I, I, yes, I see where you're coming from. Now, uh, when you're when you're dealing with your kids, uh, what's the oldest child you have? I know you got the twins, and then there's another kid, right? Six. Okay. Twins are three, and the six-year-old is a little girl. Do you have a cutoff? Uh, do you have a cutoff age where spanking becomes completely inappropriate, or do you feel like you might employ it uh, from time to time uh, as she as she continues to get older? Well, at, at this point in the game, when the six-year-old doesn't get spanked very much at all, it, it, I mean, she, there's really no need because she minds most gotcha. of the time. Now she gets a little on me, a little out of hand, but there's other punishments you can use by taking things away and not letting them watch their certain shows or, you know do their certain games and have fun the way they want to do. You know, you, you, you restrict certain things. Trevor, do you, young, use, uh, do you use your hand or do you use an my implement? My hand. Okay. I do not use an implement. Very I use my hand because if it hurts my hand, I know I think too hard. Excellent point. I think that, that's really probably the best point I've heard on that. Thank you for the call, Trevor. We appreciate sure. hearing from you. 1-800-259-9231. At least then you're feeling some of the consequences. Well, I As opposed to getting out the... The uh, switch with the holes in it. I think that he made a good point. That way you have more control, too. Um, you, you, just, you just have an, a better idea what's happening. I don't know if uh, feeling the consequences is really an issue, but you know how hard you're hitting a little more than with the uh, That's what I mean spoon. by feeling the consequences. You're taking a bit of a hit as well. I, I don't know about the parent taking a hit. The, her- the parent wasn't running around in the street. I understand, but you're taking a, phys- you're taking a little bit of a physical hit when you hit the child as opposed to holding an implement. That was his point. Let's go to Jason in Indianapolis. You're on Free Talk Live listening on WXNT. Hey, Jason. Jason in Indy. Going once. Jason in Indy. Going twice. Fall asleep. Let's try him back in a little bit. Let's go instead to John in New Hampshire. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, John. Hi, guys. I hey. thought I'd share a couple of stories with uh, spanking. First yes, sir. First of all, there's a big difference between beating and spanking. <laughs> Not to um, Ian. <laughs> well, there certainly is. And... Uh, um, one time when my children were little, I was spanked growing up, and uh, more so by mother than by father, but more severely by father, mm. uh, until I was about, oh, I don't know, somewhere between 13 and 16 when my dad gave me a really good smack, and I told him that, you know, I was about his size now, and that it was unnecessary, and I was now at a point where I could defend myself. He was going to get it back if he kept it up, is what you're saying. And that saying. needed to stop. Wow. Wow. Now, when my children were little, uh, when they were little, uh, before the before they could have any reasoning, I did it for, like some people have mentioned, when they're putting themselves in harm's way uh, to try to uh, indicate that there's some danger there. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they get a little bit older uh, and a little more sometimes defiant, I, I caught myself one time actually striking one of my children in anger. And mm-hmm. there's the thing that people need to be real careful about when spanking children. Never do it out of anger. If you're angry, calm yourself down and and hold off on that punishment until you get your yourself under control. You're saying that if uh, if you're going to spank your kids, you should uh, make sure that you're just simply doing it out of a, uh, a logical decision in that, okay, well, these are the reasons why I'm doing it. I've thought about this. I've considered it, as opposed to just reeling back and uh, letting fly. Absolutely. So what I ended up doing... Uh, when I caught myself doing that once out of anger, I sat the three kids down and I told them, here's the way it's going to work from now on. When you're doing something that, that I don't approve of or is dangerous or for whatever reason, if, if you're violating your brother or your sister's rights, there's going to be a punishment. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you to stop. Okay? Now the next time, you're going to get a warning. 
The third time, you're getting a spank. That spank is going to be one spank. If I have to do it again, it will be two spanks. If it has to happen again, it is three spanks on up the line. I don't remember ever having to do it a fourth spank. Hmm. Uh, within the past couple of years, a conversation came up with one of my kids, and uh, I was told that they don't even remember being spanked. So it was um, a very controlled thing, and that, and people need to to make sure that they keep control of themselves. You, you're, now, your father spanked you on into uh, later years. When did you put a stop to your spanking of your kids? You know, I don't really recall. Um, it, it was when they were oh, certainly under 10. Hmm. Um, Very good. As a rule, I, I think that probably after that, maybe once or twice. Now, I'll tell you something funny, and this will sound really unusual, I'll bet, to okay. most folks. It's funny that Trevor mentioned the biting. Um, I actually bit my children. What? More than once. <laughs> you bit your own children? Yes, just to show them. When See, one now, bit... here's creative parenting techniques, Ian. You were asking for them. <laughs> Where did you bite your children? On the arm, exactly like he did to his sister. Hmm. And I well, said... If you're going to bite, you want to see what it feels like. And, you know, it was – I didn't take a chunk out of the kid or anything. Well, isn't that what uh, isn't that what dogs do, you know, when they uh, – I'm not suggesting you're an animal or anything like that. I'm just saying that uh, it's acceptable in the animal kingdom for a dog to, for instance, sort of nip on the neck of uh, of its children. To, uh, well, this was only in direct, in, in direct relationship to the child having bitten biting. Gotcha. somebody else. And I said, you want to see what that feels like? It's not very comfortable. Let me show you. Wow. An amazing story, John. Thanks so for the call. Nutty, we we appreciate hearing from you, sir. 800-259-9231 is the toll-free number. You can take control of the airwaves. You know, all hour we've been talking about the spanking topic. And nobody called in to answer my question about if there's anyone who hasn't spanked their children. All we got were calls from people that have, have employed spanking at one point or another. R and rare. And some of them rarely, some of them a little more often, but but I, I maybe they just aren't out there, Mark. Maybe people, everybody spanks. Now you said that you everyone um, that listens to radio, you'd gotten spanked once. You don't remember it, but your parents told you that they had spanked you one time and that they had. I uh, sort of remember it. I sort of remember it. Hmm. I sort of remember what room it happened in. I have no idea what it was in relation to. Now I know I was spanked as a child, um, but you know John says that his kids don't remember. I know I was spanked as a child, and I remember two incidents, um, and I don't remember the actual spanking of them. I remember the fear um, that was involved. One time, my mother said, um, you know, basically that I was going to get spanked later. She was going to spank me later. I was. We were at the laundromat. We didn't have a washer and dryer in the um, in the house, and. So then she told me, it's time for your spanking. And I remember just, you know, going just crazy. Yeah. I, I didn't like, no, I don't want my spanking. I, at that point, sure. I had been being good after that. Um, very good because I you know, saw the spanking coming. And I thought I could force it off. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, here I have been being good and now it's time for the spanking. I, oh, I, went very, I was very upset. I don't know that it occurred. I don't know what happened. And another time is I, uh, my dad was sleeping and I, I think I got this from a cartoon. I went in next to my dad and I blew a whistle really loud. And he got up and he was going to beat me. Mm -hmm. And I managed to get into the bathroom and, and uh, you know, j jar the door shut. <laughs> So he uh, he cooled off, and I don't know whether I actually got a spanking in that incident or huh. incident or not. But um, it, those two times, fear is what I remember. I think that um, I don't think that people are bad because they spank their kids here and there. 
I think there's a certain line, though, that they cross where they become sickos. People that uh, that spank way too often, especially those that spank with implements. I think those people are twisted. More on the way. Coming up, drugs, legalization, LSD. It's all on the way. Hour number two is coming up, 800-259-9231. And you can take control of the airwaves. Bring up whatever's on your mind. It is Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and we're kicking off hour number two of the live Saturday edition of the show. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. That's 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features there, we give them away. Unlike those other radio talk show hosts, they want to... They want to charge you for their websites. We do it for free. Freetalklive.com. We are currently working on uh, getting Jim Babka on the line from DC.org. Apparently, we're having a little bit of technical difficulty there. We'll do that here in moments. But I believe Justin in Washington, listening on KUSA, is on board with us. Hello, Justin. Justin in Washington, going once. Justin in Washington, well, going once. He's not there. Jim Babka's not there. Nobody's there. Yeah. All right, we're just all by ourselves here. I guess so. Uh, here's uh, here's some interesting news. It's actually a, a little bit of an older story, but uh, somebody posted it on our bulletin board system, and I just thought it was fascinating because the drug LSD, acid, mm-hmm. gets a, a pretty bad reputation uh, out there in the news media. It's uh, A lot of people are scared of LSD because uh, they've heard stories about people going crazy and shooting people with bows and arrows and all kinds of and all kinds of wacko, whacked-out stories surround this drug. And I think a lot of them are urban legends, urban myths, uh, that sort of thing, propagated by the, uh, the drug warriors themselves. But generally, you don't see too many positive news stories about LSD and people who use it. I can't imagine there's too many, but okay. Well, here's one Give of them. Give it here. Here's one of them. Uh, this one from the Associated Press or Associated Newspapers. Francis Crick, the Nobel Prize winning father of modern genetics, was under the influence of LSD when he first deduced the double helix structure of DNA nearly 50 years ago. The abrasive and unorthodox Crick and his brilliant American co-researcher, James Watson, famously celebrated their eureka moment in March of 1953 by running from the now legendary Cavendish Laboratory in Cambridge to the nearby Eagle Pub, where they announced over pints of bitter that they had discovered the secret of life. Crick, who died in 2004, aged 88 at the time, later told a fellow scientist that he often used small doses of LSD, then an experimental drug used in psychotherapy, to boost his powers of thought. He said that it was LSD, not the eagle's warm beer, that helped him to unravel the structure of DNA, the discovery that won him the Nobel Prize. I just find uh, just found that absolutely fascinating. And there's a little bit more about uh, Mr. Crick, and we might talk about him uh, to, to some extent here in a moment, and his history, because it's, uh, it's a fascinating one. Uh, he had a real uh, deep involvement with the drug, and uh, just the suggestion being that maybe it's not as bad as they've made it out to be. I'm not saying go run out and buy some and dose on it. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just... Just think it's, I just think it's fair to counter some of the negative propaganda out there. A Nobel Prize winner 
discovered the double helix of, of uh, DNA while tripping on LSD. Well, um, he said he used very small doses. Small doses. Well, small dose can mean uh, a hit to a half a hit. It, it could mean, I would imagine, you know, something less than a than a current hit. You're imagining. I am imagining that, yes. But uh, a you know, hit I've, is a small dose. I've done LSD, and I wouldn't say that uh, I, I saw any benefit in my life from it. We'll come back to more on uh, the drug war here in moments. 1-800-259-9231. Shifting gears, though, to our guest here, Jim Babka from Downsize DC joins us. Jim? Hello. Hello. Good evening, sir. Well, good evening to you guys. Shame on the board op. He didn't call you during the news break. That's what. Uh, that's why we're a few minutes. <laughs> hey, late. I'm glad I came in late. I, I was. I've been listening to the, to the previous hour, uh, some of it anyway, and and I. Uh, but I didn't want to miss that little tidbit about uh, Mr. Crick. That's very very interesting. In, indeed, it is. So, Jim, you're the uh, the, you're the president of DownsizeDC.org. We love having you on the show here on, a, on at least a monthly basis to clue us into what Downsize DC is and what you guys are doing. And I guess we should just start with the basics for uh, those just tuning in, those just discovering DownsizeDC.org. Why should people go to DownsizeDC.org? What are you and what are you doing? Well, if they believe that the federal government is too big, then uh, we're for them. It's just that simple. If they believe the government's getting uh, involved in too many areas of their life, we're for them. If, we believe, if they believe that government is damp, does more harm than good, that it taxes too much, that it wastes money, uh, we're for them. We're downsized D.C., and uh, we believe that the federal government is way too big, way too intrusive, way too expensive, and uh, we want to reduce the size, the scope, and the power of it. Excellent. And I would say that most Americans think government is too big, at least from the, the studies and the numbers that we've seen. Yeah, and you know, we can, you can do a little simple test to demonstrate this for yourself. It works, it, uh, it works like magic almost every time. Uh, I don't know, there may be some places where you could go and try this and it wouldn't work, but in the general public, it always works. And that is to just ask, you know, do you ask someone, do you believe the federal government is too big, too small, or just about the right size? And nine out of ten or better will tell you that they believe it's too big. Some will ask you, where's the option for way too big? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So people should head over to DownsizeDC.org to get involved, because what your website does, and it does it brilliantly, it does it simply, it allows individuals to go and get connected with their representatives in government, with their uh, U.S. House and U.S. State, uh, U.S. Um, Senate representatives. And essentially what happens is you guys have different issues that you're following on the website. You send out emails, the Downsize D.C. Dispatch, alerting people to what's going on in Washington, D.C. You guys keep, uh, keep tabs on the politicians. You know what they're up to. Thank goodness you're doing it because I know I don't have time for it. And you keep tabs on them. You bring up a new issue when it's when it surfaces, and you you give them a link in the email. Says click here to take action on this. You click there. You sign into your account, which is free, of course, easy to sign up for. You sign into your account. Automatically, the system pulls up your representatives, and there's a pre-written email that you can modify to your heart's content, or just leave it the way it is and send it on in regards to the issue that ha that you happen to be interested in. Uh, we'll give you an example of one of those issues here in a moment. But it sends it through the senator or representative's own web forum. So it's not like it's just, just spamming them with an email. The software that you guys have behind the scenes goes to their web page, fills out the information that is, that's required on that person's contact page, like name, address, you know, are you a constituent, all of those sorts of things. It fills all that out for you, does it all behind the scenes, so you don't even have to even see it happen. And then it sends off that personalized letter 
to your senator or representative. It takes out so many of the steps between getting in touch with your elected representatives. It's a brilliant system. Right. You know, I had, ma- I had always wanted to uh, write letters to my representative or senator for whatever reason. But it takes time. It does. And I'd have to find out what their email is. I'd have to find out what their address is. I'd have to get you know, do all these things. But DC.org allows me to just... Fill out a little bit. You know, they, they pretty much do all the work for me. Now, I know, Jim, you've got some, I think you've got some good news. You guys had a recent victory, and I'd, I'd like you to talk about that and also whatever your current campaign is that you want to help promote here. But actually, we've got a question for you, and I'll make sure we can get it out here. Um, so let's go to the phones first and talk to Dan in Florida listening on WFTL. Dan, you're on with Jim Babka from DownsizeDC.org. Hey, thanks a lot, pal. Good show here this evening. Thanks, Thank you. Dan. What's on your mind? Hey, real quickly, uh, what you're doing with the DC.org there, a question I have, you hear the buzz on talk radio and other outlets uh, about uh, revamping the tax system. Is that part of your fight, uh, coming up with a, a fair tax or just reworking the IRS uh, tax system the way it is now? Well, I would be curious to get all, each of your input on this. Uh, we have been taking a very close look now for over a year at the, at the fair tax because we see it as perhaps an opportunity to avoid having to file cumbersome reports on April 15th to choose how much tax you want to pay based on the purchases you choose to make and to uh, put the, pri- the cost of government right on everyone's receipt. Uh, so that they know what the, what it's costing to have this government in Washington, D.C., as opposed to the people who get a, a refund check and think, wow, free money from the government. I see. I, we've no. actually talked to the fair tax guys on this show, and we've looked into it extensively. And I have to say that it would seem to me that DownsizedDC.org would want to get behind proposals that actually reduce the size of government. And the fair tax doesn't do that. In fact, one of the other things that it does, it does do some of the things you said it does. But one of the other things it does is it puts every American on welfare. They've got this little, uh, what, what is it, what is it they call it, the prebate. They've got this prebate thing that they send out to everyone with a Social Security number, every household, that essentially uh, it, it puts every American, every taxpaying American, on the dole from the federal government. And to me, that is really scary. And I, and I can understand where you're coming from on that, I, and I believe that their justification is twofold for that. Is so Number one, they're concerned that uh, they could never get this passed without trying to uh, do something to help the poor. And two, you've got the issue of the poor needing their food, their medicine, and so forth. We're going to come back with more of this. Hang on, Jim Babka, 800-259-9231. Dan, thanks for the call. We appreciate hearing from you. 1-800-259-9231. We've got Jim Babka, the president of DownsizedDC.org, on with us. If you've got a question for him, don't hesitate to dial in. More on the way. We'll find out what they're up to right now at DownsizedDC.org. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You bring up whatever you want. Toll-free number for you is 800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. That's 1-800-259-9231. That's the packet8.net toll-free line for you. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com where you can get signed up for the updates. Whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show, you'll know first if you're on the updates list. And you can get on it for free by going to updates.freetalklive.com. That is updates.freetalklive.com. Get registered now for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, February 23rd through the 25th. Meet libertarian superstars like John Stossel, Michael Badnarik, Ron Paul, and many more. The most influential libertarians in America will be there. Freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum for more information and to get registered. That's freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. I say the most influential libertarians in America will be there, and I mean it, because Jim Babka is going to be in attendance at the Liberty Forum uh, oh, next month. Oh, shucks. 
which I think is really exciting because, uh, Jim, we've never met. We've had a, a long history of interacting all the way, going all the way back to the Harry Brown uh, 2000 campaign when you were mm-hmm. his press, uh, weren't you his press secretary? Yes, back? I was. We've uh, we've sort of known each other off and on since then, and uh, even more so recently. So I'm really looking forward personally to meeting you. But also, you're going to be giving a presentation at uh, at the forum. What's it going to be? Well, we're going to talk about how New Hampshire can change the federal government forever. Awesome. I'm really uh, really looking forward to that. I've definitely blocked it off so I can be attending that particular breakout session. Wonderful. Uh, so, yes, you definitely want to get registered for the Liberty Forum, freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. So we were talking about what DC.org is, and it's a brilliant, simple way for individuals to get in touch with their United States representatives and senators through your website. It makes it, you make it so simple, so easy at DC.org. But what's one of the current issues? What's something that's going to get people excited, Jim, to actually visit your website and, and take action? Oh, there's a whole bunch of things. If you're uh, in, in right now, we're, tomorrow I'm going to have my radio, my radio show here on GCN. We're going to be talking about the National Animal Identification System. Uh, this is something we've been opposing since mid-year last year. Uh, there's there's new efforts for the federal by the federal government to try to create an interim rule within the bureaucracy uh, to kind of sneak in through the back door. Uh, and, and implement this uh, this this rather this procedure that's really rather unfair to the family farmers, to small farmers. Uh, it's designed to benefit big agribusiness and give them a competitive advantage over their smaller competitors. And, Can you uh, imagine that they would right. do such a thing, Jim? That they would oh, I, that they would put in place a law that that essentially makes it almost impossible, almost impossible to be a small rancher. I'm shocked. <laughs> I really, I am. I mean, no, really? You're not. Well, no. What a bunch of jerks that they would. This is typical. That you know, basically, they make it so that every um, small rancher, whether it's chickens or or, or um, ostriches, they would or anything that doesn't have to be tagged. Birds, it has to be tagged and numbered. Whereas um, large agribusinesses, large ranches, all they have to do is lots of animals. So lots meaning you know like big sections of them as long as a hundred of them yeah as long as the herds don't interact with each other but if your herds um you know interact with each other in any way then you've got to number them all right so it's a it's a way to increase the burdens on the little guys while the the big guys just shrug it off and uh, it's it's no big deal to them so that's something you're opposing and people can take action on it uh, by going to downsizedc.org and uh, and getting involved, and it's it's so easy to do. Now, Jim, you've actually had some positive effects recently uh, because downsizedc.org continues to grow in uh, in influence. You continue to get new downs uh, DC downsizers on board. And in fact, what's the uh, what's the size of your mailing list right now? It's pretty significant, isn't it? Uh, we're we're up over twenty one thousand uh, subscribers right now. That's awesome. And uh, we have sixteen uh, so far. So more than sixteen thousand people have registered to use the system, and we've generated very close to half a million messages. Excellent. So, what was your recent victory? I know you sent out an email to the downsizers about a uh, a recent victory. What was that? Well, the, there is an attempt uh, by you know by some good government reformers. Uh, to restrict First Amendment rights. Uh, they do this every couple of years. They come along. There's a scandal. Uh, the scandal is usually provoked by money being driven underground by the last reform, and they, they all pretend to be shocked and surprised that this has happened because they thought they solved the problem two years ago. And the solution is always the same. It's regulate the people, not the politicians that are mm-hmm. misbehaving. In this instance, uh, they decided that they wanted to go after so-called astroturf organizations, which is kind of a funny plan words, uh, kind of the opposite maybe of grassroots. Uh, and what they did was they created a regulation that, surprise, surprise, regulated everybody but 
AstroTurf groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came specifically hard on groups that are trying to get started, upstart groups, smaller groups, uh, groups that are growing, like DC.org, uh, because they created an exemption for membership. So they made it possible if you were an employee, if you were a member of a union, if you, uh, if you were an employee of a Fortune 500 company, if you were actually a dues-paying member of an organization, that an organization could communicate with its members, employees, and so forth, and not have to report. But organizations that have not had to file reports on how they interact with their members and the money they raise and how they spend it would have to begin doing so if they began communicating with the public. So a Fortune 500 company or a union could spend millions of dollars communicating with their members and driving them to do grassroots activity. But small small organizations like DC.org would have to begin dealing with a cumbersome reporting process that we've estimated will probably cost us to comply about $10,000 in four fewer campaigns oh per year. Oh, my goodness. And you guys, are, I mean, you guys are just meeting budget every month at this point because you're still a relatively new organization. This would have increased your costs to the point where you would have been overburdened. You might not have been able to handle this. And this is exactly what they had in mind was to strangle out uh, smaller organizations like Downsize DC. It certainly does appear that way. Now, in talks that we've had with, uh, uh, and members of our coalition have had uh, with uh, some of the organi- with one of the organizations that is helping to write this uh, piece of legislation, uh, they have uh, expressed surprise at the outcome of this and so forth, and they have tried to uh, uh, to say, hey, look, what if we just regulated so and so? But we kind of look at the at Voltaire, and he said that uh, uh, something along the lines of, I, you know. I may not agree with what you say. I may deplore it, but I would die uh, sooner than take away your right uh, to, sp- to speak. And, and we believe that should be the standard here. Uh, the First Amendment does protect four very distinct rights. It says that we have free speech, free press. We have the right to associate and assemble. We have the right to petition our government for redress of grievances. These are all rights that Downsize D.C. uses every day of the week, and uh, they're very important. And, the, and the, it starts, that amendment starts by saying Congress shall make no law, not some laws and certain exceptions, but no law abridging, which is the broadest possible word they could have chosen for the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. You can't even begin to intrude on those rights. It's basically what the First Amendment says. So how did, the, how, did, doing. how did the victory come about, and what exactly was it? Well, we've had kind of two steps in the success process so far, but the next step is going to be the most difficult. The first step was that Nancy Pelosi was going to include this in her 100-hour orgy, 100 hours worth of legislation. They were going to attempt to, to ram this right through, and uh, there was enough hue and cry that we were able to create that they decided they would put it through the normal committee process in the House. Then we switched over to the Senate, and they had Section 220 of Senate Bill 1. This was the very first major law they were going to attempt to pass. And Section 220 was the grassroots lobbying provision that offended us so much. And uh, we were able to rally a coalition, uh, a very large coalition, frankly, although it was predominantly conservative. Uh, we were at the last minute able to secure the assistance of the ACLU as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, all Republicans, including reformer John McCain, as, w- as well as six Democrats, voted for the amendment that struck out Section 220. So that was a victory. We've won this in the Senate for now. Excellent. Now we switch to the House. And now this is where the battle is going to get a little bit more difficult because we probably aren't going to be able to keep all the Republicans. We're going to need to pick up some Democrats there as well. So we're continuing to work in coalition effect with a lot of different groups. So we still need to keep the pressure up at DownsizeDC.org. So is this one of the top stories right now at DownsizeDC.org? If people are to go there, it's going to be easy to find? Yes. Okay, DownsizeDC.org. Head over there. Get interactive. Jim, if you'll hold on for a little bit more, I want to find out what's coming up for DownsizeDC.org. What is next? 
This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. If you've got a question for Jim, call in. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show, the live Saturday edition. You can take control of the airwaves, literally bring up whatever's on your mind. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231 is the toll-free packet 8.net line for you. That's 800-259-9231. You can also join us on our website at freetalklive.net. We've got live streams there. There's a broadband version of the show awaiting you, as well as a dial-up version, both completely free, at freetalklive.com. Do you have a company that needs to try something new in the area of collections? SACL CAI does collections, and they do it in a whole new way. SACL's employees are trained in resolving issues for your customers and treating them with respect. They know that not only do you want to collect your money, but you want to keep those clients, too. SACL CAI. Check out their banner at freetalklive.com or call 1-800-544-6359. That's 1-800-544-6359. Do business with businesses that support FTL. That's right. We're on the phone right now with Jim Babka from DC.org. He is the president of Downsize DC, one of my favorite organizations because they're consistently in my corner. They are constantly advocating for less government involvement in your life, in your business, uh, downsizing the uh, the national, federal government. Uh, there's never been anything that DC.org has supported that I haven't personally supported as well. They're a fantastic organization, and uh, they're out there working hard every day to keep tabs on this insanely large government that we have and what uh, sort of nutty laws that they're trying to pass. And we've sort of been over a few different things tonight as far as what uh, the current campaigns are over at DownsizedDC.org. But I invite you listeners, if you've yet to go, to head over now to DownsizedDC.org, or as soon as you get in front of your computer, don't forget about it. Head over there and get signed up for an account. It takes you just a few minutes. And then once you've got your account, then you'll be on the Downsize DC dispatch list. You'll get uh, the occasional update from Jim. I would say, Jim, you send out uh, a handful of updates on a weekly basis. Would that be about accurate? Yeah, generally about four is, uh, is pretty much a, a safe average. Occasionally more, depending on how much Congress is, uh, how much bad behavior they're engaged in. You're, if, you, if you're just an average individual who just would like to get government out of your life, uh, or as as get it out of your life to to some extent, you're going to find an issue that Jim emails you about that really is going to resonate with you. Something that really gets you angry. Uh, something maybe it's not the national uh, farm animal tagging system. Maybe it's going to be some sort of uh, tax increase or some uh, some other form of onerous regulation. But there will be something that will cross your email box that will uh, absolutely activate you, and you'll be so happy that you are on the Downsize DC Dispatch because uh, you know that uh, you're going to be able to make a difference and contact your representatives through the DownsizedDC.org system so easily, so simply. It's just a brilliant system. Now, Jim, you've been telling us about uh, some of the things you're currently doing at DownsizedDC.org. You're fighting some regulations that the, uh, the the feds are looking at passing that will actually make your job more difficult as a, as a grassroots organization. And uh, you've, you've had some success, but there's more to come in this particular battle. I know that's still on the plate. But what else is going on for DownsizedDC? What's coming soon? Well, I think the two big things that we're looking at right now, that, uh, and first of all, I just want to get another plug in for uh, my appearance and, and, and your appearance as well uh, at the upcoming Liberty Forum put on by the Free State Project. Uh, anybody that registers, by the way, that uses the code DOWNDC, D-O-W-N-D-C, gets a 5% discount. Ooh. And I really want to see people uh, take advantage of that and come and meet me. 
uh, and uh, hear what we have to say. We're going to explain how New Hampshire can change the federal government forever, obviously for the better. And, uh, and so I'm really excited about that. The other big thing that we're going to be uh, coming up on here, because of this grassroots lobbying issue, uh, we have delayed coming out with a statement and taking specific action on probably the most pressing issue in the nation right now, and that is the war in Iraq and mm. potentially the expansion of it into Iran. Uh, the Downsize DC, the team that uh, makes up Downsize DC, uh, built a website called truthaboutwar.org before a single shot was fired in Iraq, explaining that there were no weapons of mass destruction and that someday the country would break into parts and there would be a civil war. Uh, we laid it all out from soup to nuts and explained that uh, truth is often the first casualty of war. Uh, we've stood up and talked about this over the years on many occasions, but now really the time has arrived that this has become a transpartisan issue where we can begin to talk about withdrawal, and there now is a bill. It's a very simple two-point bill with six co-sponsors that has been introduced in the House, and I'm hoping that on February 1st we will be launching a campaign to get out of Iraq. Awesome. Now, I know that you've been sort of uh, a little bit on edge about approaching this issue in the past because you don't want to, for instance, alienate, uh, I guess, more of the conservative audience that's on the Downsize DC dispatch. How, how did you finally get over um, that concern? Well, we've done this in baby steps. I mean, first of all, we've talked about this issue over the years. Harry Brown, as you remember, wrote editorials frequently on this issue, and he was very forthright, and that position was largely our position. Uh, we also uh, have talked about this on my radio show, and last year we launched a campaign to actually have a real debate in Congress about the nature of what was going on in Iraq. But what's happened now is that the tide has definitely turned, uh, it, and uh, the elections demonstrate that, and the polls, the public opinion polls demonstrate that. This now is what we call a transpartisan issue. This can't be labeled as being left or right or liberal or conservative or Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, or anything else. It just is. This is the position of the American people. This is what they were expecting to hear from the president of the State of the Union the other night, was how are you going to get out? Mm. And that has not been explained by anybody in Washington, D.C. Uh, except for this handful of congressmen, uh, six of them, who have sponsored this bill, H.R. 413. And starting Thursday, uh, we intend, and that's the day we hope to launch. We, you know, we're, we're still working on the campaign, and, and there still are things that we need to be sensitive to, but we're hoping Thursday to launch and say, number one, that, it's, that the authorization that was given to the president in 2002 is withdrawn, and number two, that it's, that it's time for the president to present an orderly plan for withdrawal to the Congress. And we believe this is the right order, guys, to start this debate. Uh, it's too soon to start arguing about the funding because that will play into the president's hands. It's too soon uh, to I mean, even, I think, to talk about impeachment because that, too, will play into the president's hands. And uh, the, time, the first step here is to set up a constitutional battle. The, the Congress has not asserted its authority in this matter, and it's about time they stood up and do what we, the people, have been demanding here. Awesome. And that, and that is to say, Mr. President, you no longer have this authorization. And then let's see what he does. Let's see what his next move is. I think he paints, he's painted into a corner. He's either got to comply or he's got to set himself up for leaving office. Or, yeah, make a power grab or something like that. Jim, yep. it sounds like an exciting campaign. I'm glad you guys are finally approaching this, and I think you are the right organization to do it with. And it's going to be good, too, because it's going to help bring more of the uh, the anti-war crowd into the folds of DC.org, and that can only be a good thing as well. Uh, just reaching out, that's one of the brilliant things about your organization is that you don't necessarily have a partisan stance. You aren't Republican. You aren't Democrat. Um, you're just an organization that supports 
uh, less government involvement in people's lives on every issue that you've ever come across. And, uh, and you do a great job of, I think, bringing in people from different interest groups into the folds, whether they be conservatives maybe on a gun issue or on this farm animal issue, or liberals uh, or uh, more anti-war types on uh, getting out of Iraq. You bring them in, and then you can show them how smaller government can work on other issues that they might not have ever thought about before. And I think that's kind of, even though, you're, even though education isn't really one of the, I think, aspects of DC.org, I think uh, by proxy you're actually uh, successfully educating some people. Yeah, we try to use our downsizer dispatch list really to do that education. I mean, that's where we think that it begins to happen. If we begin to bring you in and you become a friend of ours, we can begin to have that dialogue with you. It's excellent. And, of course, uh, you also have your own radio show, and uh, people can get details about that at DownsizedDC.org. Jim, anything else you wanted to cover tonight? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. You guys are doing a wonderful job, and, and uh, thank you so much for having me on. And I really am looking forward to seeing you in New Hampshire, both of you. Let's definitely have you on one more time before the, uh, the, the Liberty Forum, so sometime before the, the end of February. Let's have you back, all right, Jim? That sounds great. Thanks, Thanks for Jim. the call tonight. We appreciate talking to you as always, sir. 800-259-9231 is our toll-free packet 8.net phone line. Just a, a great man doing uh, great things for, uh, for, for freedom in America. I, and, uh, I think that he's doing the best work um, on the federal level of anybody who's out there trying for smaller totally. government. He's the only person that uh, – I mean, it's the only national organization I actually bother spending any time paying attention to. DownsizedDC.org. Head over there and get interactive with them. It's brilliant. All right, let's go to Nico in Illinois. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Nico. Hello. Um, I was wondering, because you're talking about legislation that would make it hard on smaller farmers, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, if we have smaller government, how will we deal with uh, like certain monopolies and stuff like that that would destroy competition? Good question. Let's get back to it. If you'll hold on, Nico, we'll bring you back. 1-800-259-9231. People concerned because they believe government uh, somehow holds monopolies in check when, in fact, the opposite is true. I love this issue. Yeah. More on the way. This is your show. You take control of the airwaves. It is Free Talk Live. 1-800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you bring up whatever's on your mind. Toll free at 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll-free line for you. Ian here with you. And Mark. Once again, 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. We give away all the features there, though we do ask that you voluntarily support the show by, for instance, becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier. Head over to amp.freetalklive.com to find out what the program is all about. It stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote. And if you like Free Talk Live and you want to help get the show on more radio stations around the country, more Internet listeners on board, and thereby spreading the message of freedom and liberty, if that's valuable to you, then you should amp, like over 300 of our listeners have done. Head over to amp.freetalklive.com today to learn more, uh, learn about some of the perks you'll get, like access to the amplifier-only call-in lines, uh, the amplifier-only forum, and more. Uh, and there's some there's some also some things that the amplifiers get to test out before they go public, and uh, you'll discover what that is as well right now if you amp at amp.freetalklive.com. Let's go back to Nico in Illinois. You're back on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Nico. Okay. Um, yeah, I was just like because for monopolies in the government. Um, you know, like for example, Walmart. You're concerned. First of all, just to recap. You're concerned. That uh, that if there is very little or no government in America, then all of a sudden monopolies will become a a, re- a very real problem. That's what you're getting at. Yeah, um, I okay. think the government should at least mark or regulate 
if the, if a market or if a one single corporate or corporation gets more than a certain percentage of the market share, because if a, you know if a store gets too big or if a corporation gets too big, there's no way for the little guys to compete because you can't compete with a big place because you can't make your products cheap enough for people to want to buy them. Well, um, first off, uh, basically a monopoly can't exist without the government. Do you understand that? I don't think he does understand. Do, do you understand? No. You, you don't understand that? Okay. Um, like for instance, uh, Nico, the power company that supplies power to your home. Um, it could be the state, or it could be a private company. Cable company is a good example too. In a um, given area, the municipal government decides which cable company gets to, deci- gets to deliver cable to your house. Mm-hmm. No other cable company can operate in that area. If they do, they're kicked out. You know, they're, just, they're not able to do it. Um, now, with DirecTV and satellite, there's, there's a certain amount of competition in that arena, and it looks like, uh, it looks like broadband Internet is going to be able to uh, bring some competition into that arena, too. But when it comes to cable delivery, there's only one allowed to do it, and it's allowed by law. So that's a real monopoly. That's a government-enforced monopoly. And, and that's how they exist. So, and other than that, you don't have a monopoly. Let's take some examples that people pull out when they talk about monopolies. Microsoft. Walmart. Neither one of these are monopolies. Um, Microsoft has all kinds of competition, but if you look at the Windows arena, where they probably hold their largest market share, you have uh, OS X, which uh, Apple now has. Um, you can run it's on any machine more popular. you want. Um, you have um, Linux, which yep. you know they have this open source thing. That, so you can get other stuff. It's just rumor that people. Is, rumor is Google's going to come out with an operating system. It, you know that Google's a big player in um, in the internet world, and and they're going to give Microsoft a run for their money. Um, Yes, some stores exist and have large market shares, but they generally don't do it for very long. Have you heard of uh, Montgomery Wards? I think he dropped off the line. Did he? He's gone. But uh, he's a younger listener, so I presume no. Okay, um, I, that's the reason I asked. Many of our listeners have heard of um, stores like Montgomery Wards. About Woolworths. Uh, that's a perfect example. Woolworths used to dominate uh, yeah. back in, what was it, the 60s and 70s for the most part? I think Woolworths um, was, is responsible for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And I think you're right that, uh, you know, Him. I mean, that's how big they were. They created right. Rudolph. Now where are they? They're gone. gone pretty much gone. Um, you know, there's all kinds of companies that have had market share, uh, and they, you know, they they lose it. Right, and you also because have to, competition yeah. comes into the arena because you also, you also uh, have, it's difficult to turn a big ship. You, well, you also have to address uh, how they got the market share in the first place. And they the provided a good why, product. Exactly, they provided a product or a service or both. That uh, that sold in the marketplace that individuals on a voluntary basis decided I'm going to walk through these here doors and buy some stuff from this store. Right, Walmart with its little um, happy uh, face uh, blue vests there. They're not running, going out in the community and forcing people at gunpoint to come and shop there. People are shopping there because they want to. Exactly. They want to buy cheap plastic crap at Walmart. That's not fair. <laughs> they sell a bunch of things at Walmart, and many of them are made from metal. <laughs> and, and yeah, but a lot of um, Walmart does sort of have the lower-end merchandise, and a lot, of, a lot of plastic things that are made these days, especially in foreign countries, fall apart. But right, and Target's people, not going anywhere. They're but, doing just fine. Even with Walmart and their dominance, Target's doing great. Car- Target uh, has a niche. It's Walmart for people that, um, you know, upper, you know, middle and upper middle class people. Walmart. You know, yeah, yeah, it's trendy. Yeah, it's trendy Walmart. That's a good uh, explanation because yeah. I know that my wife would, she goes to to Target and pays twice as much for things all the time. Mm-hmm. The same stuff. 
Exactly. So um, it's actually a, a it's actually just a common myth, the idea that uh, monopolies could exist without a government. If it did happen, if one company were able to actually capture ninety nine to a hundred percent of the market share, if they would be they would have done it uh, with the voluntary consent of everyone who was buying from them. They would have to really be the most awesome company with the best customer service and the most satisfying organization in the world to get to that point. And if they all of a sudden got to 100% of market share and they sat up on the king of the hill and said, ha, 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 now we have 100% of the market share and we're going to change our ways. No more good customer service. We're going to treat you people like crap from no here No more on low out. prices. You people must pay double. In that particular case... All of a sudden, there's your market opportunity for com- competitors to jump into the game. Because without government to, uh, to sit there and regulate an industry, then anybody can get in. And that's one of the other important points about government regulations, is that existing businesses love new regulations. Because they know it makes it more difficult for newbies to get into the business, for upstarts, for startups, for people that are going to run a business out of the back of their house while they get started. These are people that will be prevented by government regulations from getting involved that without those regulations, they can jump into the game. Now you say, well, wait a minute. If there's no government regulations, what if they hurt their customers? What if they harm people? Well, buyer beware. Caveat emptor. Do your research before you decide to uh, to engage in business with an organization. We've got to go to the phones. It's Al in Florida listening on uh, WFTL. Hey, Al, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Al in Florida. I thought you wanted to go back to Nico. Hold on. Oh, it, well, is Nico back? I didn't know he was yes. back. Okay, Nico, uh, any response? Um, well, you, you said that people can just go to Walmart and buy things for cheaper, which is true. But the thing is that Walmart, well, around here at least, they, they're so big that whatever town they go into, they they run a lot of little people who sell, you know, blue jeans or whatever. They run them out of business. And so the people in the town, they they have to shop at Walmart. And not only do they pay the workers' minimum wage, but – the people who you know sell to Walmart had to sell for lower prices because Walmart wants them to. Well, Walmart, hold on just a second. Um, Walmart doesn't generally uh, pay minimum wage, but let's suppose that they do. Um, people they start at seven ninety here. The, um, the people that um, the reason that the companies went out of business when Walmart moved in isn't because Walmart moved in. It's because people stopped going to those local stores and they instead went to Walmart. And, you know, I'm sorry that that happened. I know that people um, like their livelihood and they like things to to stay the same when they like those things. But they want things to change when they want them to change, too. And uh, my question to you is this. Should we get rid of all the cars because it put all the blacksmiths out of work (laughs) back in, you know, the the, the early uh, 1900s? No, it's because it's progress, Nico. And I'm sorry. Sometimes progress um, hurts people that are hanging on. You know, there's I, I've seen local mom and pop stores that sell blue jeans and cowboy boots and things like I'm that. I'm sure there's some former typewriter salesmen that are very angry about the personal computer. Yeah, they don't like this whole word processing thing. Nico, he's gone again. I guess oh, I can agree with you, but it's like they they take up a lot of you know because what happens if we just have Walmart selling these things you don't just have Walmart and as i pointed out if it was just Walmart it would be because they did such an awesome job that everyone in the world decided to start doing business at Walmart and i don't personally see that happening do you have mm, you been I to target know. 
Have yeah, you... I've been to Target. But... Okay. A lot of other people but... go to Target, too, and they shop there, and they choose to shop at Target as opposed to Walmart. And there are still yeah. local stores. I've seen them around here. Maybe they're not selling brand new jeans, but there's a there's a store here in Keene that sells used uh, clothes. They call themselves Saks Thrift Avenue. It's very cute, very uh, homey, very local store, and they they seem to be doing just fine. So it's it's I think it's also somewhat of, of an urban myth that Walmart comes into a, a community and just decimates the businesses there. Right. Suddenly, um, all the money is going to Arkansas instead of um, you know being kept in the local community. But my question um, when you talk about things like that is, well, where are the local um, stores buying their stuff. Are they buying only blue jeans made in that local town? Well, they'll, no, they're not. They're bringing them in from all over. So the money's leaving anyway. And the idea that we should even have government around to regulate businesses is just going to give big companies more power, Nico. Don't forget that. Who do you think government responds to better? Big companies with deep pockets or a little mom and pop store? Think about that one. Hour three's on the way. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off hour number three of the live Saturday edition. And you can take control of the airwaves toll-free. At 800-259-9231, that is the packet 8.net toll-free line for you. Ian here with you. And Mark. That's 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website as well at freetalklive.com. All the features there, we give them away. Uh, and those other radio talk show hosts want to charge you for them. So try it out for free at freetalklive.com. As we go to the phones, to the fun, Al has been waiting patiently in Florida, listening on WFTL. Uh, Hello, Al. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hi, Ian and Mark. Hey, hey Al. What's on your mind? Great show. Uh, this is the first time I've tuned in to you on uh, this station. I listen to it most of the time, but usually not at this hour. Great. Well, we're glad you're out there, and we're actually going to be on uh, WFTL from here on out on Saturday nights from 7 to 9. Unfortunately, right now, uh, this hour, you've got some crackpot who claims to talk to ghosts or something. So what you re- what you might want to do, Al, is uh, take a moment to contact Ken Pauley, the program director there at WFTL. Thank him for putting Free Talk Live on and ask him to expand the show. I will do that. Ken Polly? Yeah, he's the program director, and, and that applies to everybody listening on a local radio station. Call your local program director and thank him for airing Free Talk Live. So, Al, what's on your mind? Oh, just a couple of things. First, I was very impressed with Jim Babcock. I was a toss-up between trying to call you and uh, trying to run to the computer and, and check out DownsizedDC.org. Yes, it's, it's actually Jim Babcock, but I don't think oh, he Jim would be too concerned with that. Babco. He's, he's a good guy, uh, Jim Babcock. So, yes, what else was on your mind? Uh, I'm... Just uh, in sort of a dilemma state here, uh, my wife and I are both retired school teachers from Michigan, mm-hmm. and we bought a dream home uh, retirement uh, place here in Florida to spend our winters. They call us snowbirds down here. I guess you're probably familiar with that term. Yeah, we're uh, we're both former Florida na- or Florida natives. We've uh, lived there for a long time. But yes, since it's uh, snowbird season down there, can oh, can they shoot them? Definitely snowbird season. It gets real busy down in Palm Beach County during this time of the year. I believe it. <laughs> Anyway, I think I was a little bit lost politically back in Michigan and feeling a little bit better about things in Florida. Uh, uh, at times we thought maybe our Florida dream home is turning into a nightmare. But uh, Really? Why? But, well, politically things are just really uh, confusing in, in, uh, in Florida. The tax bill and the property uh, insurance bills are both just out of sight down here. But uh, Are you in, is, pa- are you in uh, Palm Beach? Where are you at in Florida? We're in Palm Beach County, just... just uh, 
a mile, just a few blocks actually, south of Palm Beach. That's one of the Worth. that's that's one of the more ritzy, I, I guess, areas of Florida. So I guess it uh, that explains why your property taxes are so high. Well, it's the whole state of Florida, really. And and the, the ironic thing is, uh, they've just been featuring a lot of uh, the uh, Donald Trump stories with his big flag flying over Mar-a-Lago, and uh, he brought out the point that Palm Beach County is probably one of the wealthiest counties, but. There's an awful lot of just uh, very average people like us that live in this area as well. Sure there are. It's a big county. A lot of people being forced out uh, of their domicile by the the size of the tax bill and the property. It's true. That's actually, I remember before we left, uh, we used to live in Sarasota on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And I remember before we left seeing an article in the uh, the newspaper, Mark, about some of the uh, the older retired folk in Sarasota who just can't keep, I mean, they they don't have the income coming in for the property taxes that they're being uh, required to pay on their property. And they're selling their houses and moving into the center of state and moving out of state. No, no, wait a second. That's not so. Florida's a homestead state, and they can only raise your property taxes by 3% a year if it's your resident. If it's your resident. Right. Now, you, you I know, um, move back and forth between Michigan. I would re- I recommend that you consider Florida your home state. That well, way you that's can... one of the things we're strongly considering. And, and like I said, being represented by people like uh, Carl Levin and Debbie Stabenow in Michigan in our United States Senate uh, has made me think maybe it would be a wise move to come down here. The new governor, Christ, has done some uh, fantastic work with the legislature here in reducing the property tax burden, at least it's uh, supposed to uh, really? happen. Yeah, Christ, is a, Christ is a good um, fiscal conservative, but yeah. he also loves to lock people up. I mean, you know, it, drugs as, far as, as far as he's concerned, if you've got three baby aspirin in your pocket, go to jail. Um, oh, gosh. I mean, I'm sorry, he's just, he's just a huge drug warrior. So anyway, um, when it comes to people moving out of uh, the richer counties into the poorer counties of Florida, mostly what they're doing is they're giving up their homestead exemption on that house, they're, get, they're taking it on another one, and they're cashing in and selling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're cashing in, but they're, they're also being, if they want to live in a home similar to the one they leave, they're hit with a, a, a new property tax. That's going to be a lot higher than what absolutely. They had if if they you change been. homes for something similar, you're buying at a higher rate. E- even if you get something smaller, um, you know your you're going to maybe higher. Your taxes may it's very well be higher. But that's... if you move in Palm Beach County, does have some of the highest taxes. I can tell you, I lived in uh, Manatee and Sarasota counties, which is on the other side of the state, mm-hmm. and um, you know there's there was a big difference in the taxes um, between those two counties. Right? Yeah, it was higher in Sarasota. There's between the two counties, and I bought one in 2001. I bought one in 2004. And those years were huge for uh, property increases, well, you know, the you value. Th- if you think it's bad down in Florida, it's even worse up in uh, up here in New Hampshire. It's uh, I'm paying $6,000 a year on a uh, property valued at $230,000. I mean, it's just wow. it's crazy up here. And that's because New Hampshire gets the bulk of their government funding from the property tax. There's no state income tax. There's uh-huh. no state sales tax. So something we're going to be gearing up for up here soon is uh, is a fight we're going to try to get them to uh, to get rid of this property tax, but that means we're going to have to uh, to seriously cut the size of you know, government. What I d- well, what I don't like about the t- what I don't like about property taxes is if I don't agree with something the county's doing, like say I don't believe in public school for whatever reason. Yeah, um, it, it, it's a free country. I can I can believe in um, whatever I want to believe in. I have to give my money, or they're going to come and take my house away. Right. I mean, what kind of violent person would come and take a person's house away? And that, but that's what property taxes are. One of Chris's proposals, and I think I go along with it, is to uh, reduce or eliminate the property tax and increase the sales tax. 
Yikes. See, the problem is, though, I mean, with with proposals like that, is that they're just shifting the government weight around. They're not doing anything to reduce the size of government. Um, they're just shifting it, and, and it's just it's just a waste of time. Why can't we have someone propose, hey, let's slash this program, cut this program, let the market handle this, let the market handle education, and then we can completely eliminate both property taxes and the sales tax. Al, thank you for the call. We appreciate hearing from you. 800 259 9231, the packet 8.net toll free line. Uh, since we were talking about some sort of big business issues at the end of hour number two, I want to continue that theme with an email from Jess. He says, Hey guys, got a couple of questions that have been bugging me, and I hope you can answer them. I guess my beliefs are more on par with Ian's, and I'm specifically interested in what he has to say on this. The first question I've got is if we manage to completely get rid of the government and we're a totally free market country, what would stop companies and businesses from using any caution in regards to the environment, the habitat around them, and the people they might be affecting. So this is more of a question for you, because I don't really subscribe in the totally free market um, country. So this is he's asking you. For example, what would stop a chemical company from dumping tons and tons of toxic waste into the river right next to the chemical plant? Uh, the toxins would kill all of the life in the river, possibly affect the water or soil of land they don't own, as well as drifting into the ocean and polluting it. If they owned that river and there were no laws backed by force which told them otherwise, why would they use any caution? Well, in a smaller government world, and I know his question was in a no-government world, but in a smaller government world, um, people would actually be able to own property like rivers and lakes and that sort of thing. And it's actually done today. Um, I, I've actually seen a privately owned lake, and it was in, in very nice condition. Sure. Um, I'm looking at a piece of property that has a little creek that goes through it. Sure. And if somebody downstream from you um, starts polluting, then you've got a, a lawsuit on your hands. You can actually bring them into court. Now, if you change that uh, and, and take it to court and have the court decide, yeah, you're polluting this guy's uh, river, that's wrong. Now you need to make compensation and stop doing it. If you take the government court out of the picture, then we just simply replace that with arbitration. Mm -hmm. People would privately own um, land. They would privately own waterways, that sort of thing. If you could prove that uh, that you were being polluted by a certain organization, you take that uh, that organization to arbitration, and the third-party arbitrator, the individual, uh, the the corporation, or the, I guess they wouldn't be corporations, the, the companies and the people that would be arbitrating these decisions have it in their best interest to come out with a fair decision – and because if they aren't fair, then nobody will use their services. So they come out with a fair decision that says, hey, you can't do this anymore. You need to clean this up or else we're going to your, your reputation is going to be seriously damaged. And a company that has a damaged reputation is going to find it more difficult uh, for them to get insurance uh, providers, for them to get all sorts of different vendors and contracts and that sort of thing. So it will be in their best interest because they want to have a nice public image, don't they? I mean, you don't want to be known as the polluter, do and you? Also, um, you know, we advocate a loser pays system. So even poor people that are affected, is all they have to do is convince a lawyer, look, I've been harmed here and we're going to win this case. And then right. the lawyers essentially going after the other people in order to get paid. I think most arbitration systems would be a loser pay system because that would be what was what was in demand. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. More about evil corporations on the way. It is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You bring up anything toll-free number for you, 1-800-259-9231. The packet 8.net toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. Again, that's 1-800-259-9231. You can also join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features there, we give them away. And that does include the bulletin board system. Over 180,000 posts, over 1,400 people interacting. It's completely free. 
bbs.freetalklive.com. That's bbs.freetalklive.com. And does your company have a bunch of unpaid receivables just sitting out there? Well, try SACL CAI. They do collection in a whole new way. SACL knows that the way they treat your customer reflects on you. They record every customer interaction so you can check their work. Let SACL CAI handle any or all of your accounts receivable needs. See their banner at freetalklive.com or call 1-800-544-6359. That's 800-544-6359. And do business with businesses that support Free Talk Live. Back into the email box. Again, your calls are primary about anything at 800-259-9231. But Jess had another question. He started out with an environmental concern, but the and, and it's sort of all of his questions here have to do with big companies and being evil to their little to the little people. So here's a second question: If we manage to completely rid the world of government, talk about a vision uh, where the whole world was openly accessible, no border restrictions, no trade restrictions, etc. What would stop corporations or businesses from going into an area with a lot of poor, starving, desperate people, setting up a factory, and offering them potentially dangerous jobs at slave wages? Well, what would stop them at the the slave wages uh, portion is, um, by the way, lots of people do potentially dangerous jobs for high wages. And that's what, um, you know, that's what separates. That's why people are willing to do them is because they're high wages. Right. Now... In some countries, people are paid less than they are in the United States. I don't think that that makes what those people, um, comparatively what those people are making slave wages, they could be being paid three times what a farmer does in that mm-hmm. ta- in that uh, particular country. Now, you, might, can, you can compare it to here and say, oh, my God, they're getting paid tw- the equivalent of 25 cents an hour. That's terrible. Right. But what if their alternative is getting paid five cents an hour by working as a farmhand on some rice paddy farm someplace? Right. A, a rife, uh, you know, I mean, a lot are of you going to deny them that 25, uh, an hour, 25 cent an hour job? Because what you're doing is you're denying them good work. Right, and the question, the, the simple answer to his question is what would stop them from uh, exploiting so-called their workers, setting up a factory, and offering them potentially dangerous jobs at slave wages would be those individuals. Yes, who would absolutely. Take the jobs. They would say, "What? You want me to stick my hand near this buzz saw for you know this amount of money? Forget that." Right. I mean, here, here's the question: Is I mean, would you be willing to um, paint smokestacks for five dollars an hour? No. On a rickety little platform? No. No, you wouldn't. Well, because it's dangerous and you're not getting paid enough. But would you be willing to um, to paint smokestacks um, for five hundred dollars an hour? Sure, just give me an inhal- uh, respirator or something like that, so I don't get poisoned. Well, you you'd, you paint the outside, not the inside. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I assume they don't paint the inside. Doesn't seem like it would do much good. Gotcha. Um, you know, and it, it's really it's relative. People uh, are willing to work for what they're willing to work for, and who am I to tell them that they can't do dangerous, quote unquote, dangerous work? People do dangerous work all the time. Um, there's, you know, what and about the, chosen it? What about the electrical linemen that bring us power? Are they somehow exempt from this? Those guys fall off those things and they get shocked all the time. They die. He says, essentially, I'm talking about exploitation. What would prevent them from exploiting people when there's a large profit to be made? Well, the people. The people who would be choosing to work or not work for those individual companies. 
Certainly, he says, the workers themselves wouldn't stand up for their rights because if they did, the company would just move to another area with similarly uh, desperate people and the workers would go back to starving. I understand that they're given uh, that they're giving the workers jobs they wouldn't have otherwise, but I think there's some moral line that should be drawn to take it to an even greater extreme. What would pre- and by the way to answer his uh, before we go on to his next extreme, uh, what else? The other thing that would prevent uh, the the workers from being so-called exploited beyond the fact that the workers get to choose to work for these companies or not is another company coming in and competing. So, Mark, let's say you're an exploitative individual and you've got a big factory manufacturing shoes and you want to build it in some S-hulk uh, of a country and uh, because there's no other shoe manufacturers. In fact, there's no other manufacturers there at all. You're going to be the only manufacturing company there, and so you can exploit these people uh, to no end. If they want to get off the farm, as many of them do, mm-hmm. they're going to have to work in your factory. Okay. <laughs> and you've started to take advantage of them, and these desperate, poor fools that don't apparently aren't apparently uh, able to make s- sensible decisions for themselves come in and start working for you well then i see an opportunity because uh, as a, as an enterprising individual i see that you are aren't exactly treating your employees as well as you could be i know that you're making a pretty decent profit on those shoes and mm-hmm. and i know that i can actually make a slightly lower profit and also pay these people better um, because, well, I know they're going to come in droves to my business if I open up shop across the street or uh, across town. So I go in and set up my own shoe-making manufa- um, shoe company and step into the business and say, come on over here, we're going to give you 15-minute breaks every four hours, we've got air conditioning, we've got uh, you know nice a nice place to work, and we're going to pay you a little bit more as well. You know, Guess what's going to happen to your workforce? The, the workforce is going to leave um, if that's what's offered, obviously. They're going to um, take their labor, which they're the business that sells their labor. They're going to take it, and they're going to go sell their labor to you instead of to me. In that case, now let's look at um, coffee, for, for instance. Um, people in Latin American countries have a tendency to make less than they do in the United States, but there has been a whole industry, a whole brand of coffee out there um, called fair trade coffee. Mm-hmm. Fair trade coffee claims to pay its, um, you know, it pay a fair wage to coffee workers um, for their product. Yeah. Now I can't imagine how this must screw up the economy. <laughs> um, how things must, I mean, people must be vying to uh, get the fair trade coffee um, to sell their stuff to them, but they probably have the best beans as a result. Yeah. So it, this is, and, and people buy this fair trade coffee in order to be fair to people in Latin America. Some people do this. So they have their own nar- market niche, which is, I, well, I don't exploit people with my uh, you know, major brand coffee. Right. I buy fair trade coffee, and it's, it's so much better. They're it, actually using the ignorance of Americans uh, to essentially I, profit on, uh, on this very expensive coffee. It's niche. It's, because Americans don't realize that these people that are making 25 cents an hour, as you pointed out before, are actually doing fairly well. And anybody that goes into a, 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 a factory where people like uh, Jess would believe that they're being exploited, you have to remember, they're making a choice. They've chosen to go and work under those conditions. Every single day. Yeah, it was their option. And they could have very well have chosen to stay home on the farm, but they didn't. People should be free to make those choices. His next extreme example is, what would prevent someone from going to an area with desperately poor people, picking up a few young girls, and sexually exploiting them by offering them a house to live in and food to eat? Again, the girls wouldn't stand up for themselves because the alternative is to go back to being starving. Now, I really despise government and think its current form is contrary to general human nature, but how could something like this be enforced, and where do you draw the line? 
Well, go look at desperately poor countries and look at what some of the women in those countries do. They sell their bodies for cash because uh, there's so many regulations in, in places like India and, uh, and other uh, well, they, impoverished areas. They where sell their bodies for cash every place. I it's, mean, it's true, but really, there are cer- certain countries where they just don't have a lot of options. They don't have uh, they don't have uh, gover- the government education system is is dismal, and uh, these people are, are are virtually useless. They don't have a lot of opportunity. So the, one of the things they can do is break the law and sell their bodies. So this is going on right now. Uh, it's it may sound exploitative and it may sound terrible, but if it's helping keep people alive, who am I to question it? More on the way. You take control of the airwaves. Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free. But if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You bring up anything live Saturday edition. Take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. That's 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features there completely free, including the live streams, broadband version of the show, dial-up version, both totally free, freetalklive.com. What's your liberty issue? The war on drugs? Register now for the February 2007 New Hampshire Liberty Forum. Speakers include Jack Cole, Executive Director of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, and Rob Campia, Executive Director of the Marijuana Policy Project. New Hampshire residents who are working to end the war on drugs. Freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. That's freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. 1-800-259-9231. I wanted to refocus on the last section of Jess's email to us about uh, this you know, world without government, what would happen, he says, or she, I'm not sure, uh, if someone were to move into an area with desperately poor people, pick up a few young girls, and then sexually exploit them by offering a house to live in and food to eat. Well, I don't know what he means by young girls, but here in the United States, uh, here in America, it's not necessarily against the law. I think it is in some places. But it's not necessarily against the law to offer somebody free rent in return for sex. I mean, what's wrong with that? It's a voluntary choice. If you're not forcing someone into this uh, situation, if it, if they're free to leave, then I don't see what the problem is. Um, certainly some relationships are, are essentially that. Um, you know, I mean, hey, I'll you stay here and do whatever you want at the house all day, and I'll go out and earn the money and pay for all the bills and... Mm-hmm. We'll Is that exploiting? Every now and then, I I don't know. It's a choice. All of these are choices. All of the things we've been talking about. People working as, in dangerous factories. Choice. As long as you don't have um, the the laws outlawing people's activities, then you're going to have the mob get in involved. Once uh, right. Once you outlaw prostitution, then you're going to have dangerous know, pimps and all kinds of people that are involved in it, and there people are going to get hurt, and there's going to be social diseases and. You know, that's this is where the problems in these um, things occur with regulation. That's why there's people dying in the streets over drugs right now. People getting shot, people's homes being wrecked, um, you know, broken into. People are getting their throats slit for fifty bucks so that somebody can buy crack. Well, peop- speaking of people dying in the streets, that uh, that perfectly ties into where I wanted to go, which was uh, Walter Block at LewRockwell.com talking about New Orleans, which apparently is where he lives. 
and how to radically lower the number of murders in New Orleans. We talked a couple weeks ago about Mayor Nagin's proposal, right? He's got this proposal to put up video cameras everywhere and uh, more checkpoints, police checkpoints. That'll put a stop to the murders. So he's got this this police crackdown uh, that he's suggesting. And uh, Mr. Block has an alternative solution to lower the number of murders in Mm -hmm. New Orleans. He says New Orleans is now undergoing an unprecedented murder rate, even for the big uneasy. How can we dig our way to uh, our way out of this morass? The usual suspect solutions have all been tried, and they've not worked in the past, and they won't help us now. According to the conventional wisdom, the way to stop people from shooting at each other is to improve our public schools, promote daycare, stop the drug trade with stiffer sentences, start midnight basketball leagues, bring in the social workers, promote religion, subsidize parenting skills, introduce citizenship and ethics classes in high school, and the list of ineptitude goes on and on. These remedies are either focused way too far in the long run to be even relevant to our critical short-run problems, right. or have never addressed and cannot solve such challenges or are actually counterproductive, exacerbating murder rates, not diminishing them. So let's take a deep breath, open our minds, and mm. consider something radical, Okay. something way off the beaten track. Let us legalize all drugs. All of them, without exception, preeminently including marijuana, cocaine, and yes, even heroin. What does this have to do with the gigantic number of murders now afflicting New Orleans? Plenty. An inordinate amount of these episodes consists of drug dealers shooting each other in turf wars. End the prohibition, and this viciousness stops right in its tracks. Nor are these murders likely because... Aspirin companies aren't murdering one another over aspirin territories. They aren't, no. And uh, Budweiser isn't murdering its competitors either. No, no, no Miller Lite agents have been killed. Nor are these murders likely to end anytime soon. Things of this sort were kept down to a dull roar before Hurricane Katrina. A sort of equilibrium was attained. Every gang knew its place, at least roughly. Property rights in street corners and back alleyways were semi-established. Yes, from time to time there was a bit of bloodletting, as criminals served their sentences and tried to reclaim what used to be their territory, or as dealers were killed or retired, and many wars broke out until the new pecking order was established. And from what he's saying, uh, that's pretty much an accurate uh, picture of how the black market works. People know, people in the business, they know who's around and and, uh, who's who's not to step on, because they don't want to die. But then came the failure of the levees. Our dealers tried to set up shop in Houston, Memphis, Atlanta, and other such refuges. The local denizens didn't appreciate that one bit. Conflagrations broke out there. Then, as the Crescent City began to repopulate, heroin entrepreneurs began trickling back amongst the crowds. Paradoxically, this increase in crime in the temporary refuge cities from which these gangsters were emigrating, and also in New Orleans as they arrived back here, actually it increased crime in those places, For both the egress and ingress set up jurisdictional disputes over turf, and the battle lines were drawn again and again in blood. This inflated murder rate will only recede to pre-Katrina levels, which were horrible enough uh, in that bygone area, when post-hurricane movement of population slows down to previous levels. And that point might not be reached for decades. It's thus time, past time, to drain the swamps instead of following our present policy of fighting the alligators, legalizing uh, addictive drugs... Every last one of them will stop all this gang warfare for sure and immediately. Why? Well, if marijuana, heroin, etc. were legal, it would be sold in ordinary, legitimate stores like pharmacies. You know, if, if somebody doesn't believe this, let's think about the Al Capone era. 
when prohibition was in place, that's how the mobsters managed to get make all this money. They sure. made they made millions Al off Capone of this. Al Capone would have been a no one if it weren't for prohibition. Absolutely, prohibition put it on the map, and as soon as prohibition was repealed. All the mobsters went away. All the the people being gunned down in the streets went away. Now, do you think the police wanted prohibition to go away? No way they wanted that to happen. No way they wanted that to happen. But the American people demanded it. And as soon as the American people finally wake up and realize what's going on with the war on drugs, they'll demand that that stops too. Yeah, and it'll come to a a grinding halt. Anyway, as Walter Block points out... um, so legitimate sales at places like uh, stores and pharmacies would replace the present fly-by-night murderous operators. Customers would simply rather purchase brand-name cocaine replete with labels, money-back guarantees in case of defective products, as in the case of all other consumption goods. I mean, look at a bag of Doritos. <laughs> you flip that thing over, and uh, there's, that, there's that guarantee at the bottom. You know, you don't like this product? Even local stores, even private labels, you don't, you're not satisfied with this product, call this number, we'll buy it back from you. Standard Business Ventures uh, have a comparative advantage over hoodlums whose only specialty resides in violence. In fact, when alcohol was prohibited from 1920 to 1933, gangs fought it out in the streets with machine guns for the right to sell their bathtub gin. Innocent bystanders were killed in the crossfire, just as happens at present. Backwood stills killed even more with their battery acid products. Nowadays, peace reigns in this industry. Johnny Walker and Four Roses compete with each other, not with bullets, but in terms of the traditional commercial aspects of price, advertising, availability, quantity, reputation, etc. The mafia is not involved. Quality. No one dies. No one in the creation, manufacture, wholesaling, distribution, transportation, retailing of this product. For similar reasons, the same beneficial effects will ensue when... And as soon as we legalize drugs. But will we not die like flies from these addictive substances once they're legalized? There's no more reason to think that uh, think so than to believe that when the prohibition of booze ended, it encouraged an orgy of drunkenness. Pretty much the same people who liquored up before 1920 did so after 1933. And there's every reason to believe that drug legalization would follow the same path. Those who now abuse drugs will still likely continue to do so. Is there... Anyone now who refrains from their use simply because they're illegal? I know the illegality didn't stop me. Did it stop you from using drugs, Mark, the times mm. you've done them? Um, no, not once. Yes, both drugs and alcohol will remain medical problems post-legalization. Addiction is going to continue to be a problem, whether or not it's le- uh, these drugs are legal or not. But the crime will be eradicated from both. Now, so far, Mr. Block says he's attempted to show that the best last hope for uh, New Orleans in eliminating the scourge of murders presently besetting us was to legalize drugs. And we'll continue with a few interesting pointers on legalization and questions about it coming up. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the live Saturday edition. Only moments remain, but just enough time for your call. If you make it now at 1-800-259-9231, that is the packet8.net toll-free line for you. That's 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. Enjoy all the features there because they are completely free. That we do ask that you voluntarily support the show by buying some stuff at Amazon. Head over to amazon.freetalklive.com. Don't enter their site any other way. Because if you enter through Amazon.freetalklive.com, Mark, what happens? Well, we get a little percentage 
Free Talk Live gets a percentage, and, uh, you know, it, it's nice. Yeah, it is, and you get the stuff you need delivered to your door, in many cases, with free Super Saver shipping, 35 categories to shop in, big, high-ticket dollar items, all the way down to little stuff. I mean, they really have it all. And uh, so enter and start your shopping experience at Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. Help support Free Talk Live. Great way to do it. We're talking about legalization of all drugs. And Walter Block at uh, LewRockwell.com is pointing out that New Orleans right now has a serious murder problem. More so than they've ever had in the past. And I think his suggestion is accurate as to why. It's because the the population has been so shifted around there that when people started coming back into the city, the turf wars started up all over again. What had formerly been a sort of a a stalemate between the gangs where they sort of, to some extent, respected each other's areas or turf and very, very seldomly clashed over it. Now they're clashing all the time as new people are coming in attempting to uh, get a foothold in the uh, the heroin market and the cocaine market and all the illicit drugs. Well, I mean, you know, things were established uh, prior to the hurricane and the levees breaking. After that, basically... You know, the old people wanted to go in and reestablish, and new people wanted to come in and establish their businesses, and everything was wide open. So it's it's turf war. It's on. He says, uh, Walter says, legalize heroin, cocaine, and marijuana, and such conflagrations will immediately cease, as they did when alcohol prohibition was ended in 1933. I now wish to consider and reject several objections to this very sensible plan. Many of you listening may be having these, uh, these objections in your mind, but you didn't feel like calling in. I think Mr. Block's going to do a fine job of rebutting them. Number one, here are the potential objections to legalization. If people drive while under the influence of drugs, the enormous increase in traffic fatalities will more than offset any saving of, uh, savings of lives due to the elimination of murderous wars over drug turf. Not so. Drugs can be treated in roughly the same manner as alcohol. It's legal to use the latter product, but not to drive while intoxicated. In like manner, it would no longer be a crime to erase brain cells with heroin, but it would be if you got behind the wheel of a car. And besides, as uh, I like to point out, the laws aren't stopping heroin addicts from driving right now. Right. I mean, can you imagine? Heroin addicts don't care about driving while intoxicated charges. They're doing heroin. Number two, this plan to legalize drugs would give a social imprimatur to abuse such substances. Children would be led to try them. No, no. One cannot infer approval from mere legalization of an act or substance. Abortion, gambling, prostitution, alcohol, homosexuality, and other victimless ex-crimes are no longer criminalized offenses in civilized societies. But the attitude of society towards them is one of strict neutrality, not approval. Right now, addictive drugs have about them the lure of the forbidden. Youngsters are more likely to be tempted by them. Under legalization... Especially when they hear things like marijuana's bad for you, and then they try it, and they find out, well, this isn't so bad. Then they hear heroin's bad for you. They're liable to not believe it, because... I was taught when I was little about the boy who cried wolf, and I'm sorry, but our society's crying wolf about about marijuana. That's just the long and the short of it. Yep, you're absolutely right. Under legalization, no drug purveyors would hang around schoolyards as they do now and try to get kids to try their deleterious wares. And uh, as he points out, the attitude of society and uh, the the government, because the people will come up with this objection all the time. Well, if we just legalize it, that's the government endorsing those things. Well, that's if that's true, then uh, spray paint is legal. And so that must mean that the government is endorsing huffing. Uh, That's absurd. Right. No one's endorsing huffing. Gasoline is legal. No one's endorsing snorting it. Okay? Number three, another objection. Drug legalization would empty the city to an even greater degree than at present. 
Uh, there's one added benefit to New Orleans from implementing such a proposal. We'll have gained for ourselves a new bouncing baby industry. Just as Las Vegas evolved from a stretch of desert into a world-class city when it was only one thing to o- when it was on- the only one to offer gambling, so will the Big Easy surpass its previous preeminence, uh, preeminence when it alone offers legal drugs. The industry by itself will put us back on the map. Number four, objection. Well, the state and federal courts won't allow New Orleans all on its own to declare itself a free enterprise zone in this regard. So, even if legalization would radically reduce our local murder rate, we won't be allowed to implement it. That's my objection. (laughs) Right now, like it or not, we are a tremendous burden on the rest of the state, and indeed the country. We could do far better on our own than with our palms up begging for charity. As well, the federales owe us big. The flooding was their fault of their Army Corps of Engineers that built the porous levees. It was their FEMA that added insult to injury in Katrina's aftermath by preventing others from rescuing us, while doing nothing much on its own in this regard. It would come with particularly ill grace for them to object to a plan that would, one, stop this horrid spate of murders in its cold tracks, and two, put us back on our feet, economically speaking. Oh, I don't think that would stop them at no, all. It hasn't stopped them in, uh, in California, but it would stop them if someone had the courage to say, no feds allowed. You DEA people, come on our turf, come in the city of New Orleans, you'll be arrested. That would stop them. Number five, but it's not, is another objection, but is it not scurrilous to be associated with such a product? New Orleans as the drug capital of the country is something that would disgrace us. I answer that it's far more debilitating to take on our present Wasn't role. Wasn't New Orleans essentially the alcohol cap- capital of America previously? Mardi Gras. I mean, <laughs> essentially people equated New Orleans to parties. With people, um, topless women, uh, topless drunk women. People peeing in the streets, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, I'm sorry. That's what they were, they were known and for. And believe it or not, people kept coming there. Yeah, because people liked the idea of them being the alcohol capital of America. He says, I answer it's more debilitating to take on our present role as the murder capital of the country on a per capita basis. Mm. Would you rather have blood running in the streets? Number six, objection. The Harrison Narcotics Act of 1917 was implemented for a good purpose, to save ourselves from the scourge of drugs. Well, it's failed then, because in 1917, people weren't really doing drugs. They, you know, marijuana was almost completely unheard of, to the point that they were able to tell lies, awful, slanderous lies about marijuana and the people that, um, that do it. You know, people hadn't heard of uh, drugs like cocaine. It's just, they were, you know, cocaine was around, but it was used for medical purposes. I'm sorry. No, the war on drugs has failed us. It has failed us miserably, and it's costing us our children. As Block points out, has the war on drugs succeeded? Has the Harrison Narcotics Act of 1917 succeeded? Well, to ask the question is to answer it. I mean, if you have to ask the question, clearly it hasn't succeeded. People can purchase addictive substances in any major city in the country. No, this war has failed, like so many other such initiatives undertaken by the government. The motivation behind the legislation had nothing to do with protecting the public in any case. It was pure and simple a racist anti-Chinese measure in an attempt to criminalize them for using opium dens. Number seven. We're on the verge of winning the drug war. This isn't the time to cut and run. On the verge of winning? Absurd. I mean, more people are using drugs than ever on the verge of winning. As Block points out, the drug war is an utter and abysmal failure, and necessarily so. Every time a successful interdiction occurs, drug prices and profits rise, and this only strengthens the drug gangs. They are impregnable to such tactics. New Orleans, let us legalize drugs. You know, the thing is, is um, I, when when you get when you when you um, arrest a murderer. The murder, like a, a mass murderer, the murder rate goes down in town. When you arrest a burglar, the burglary rate goes down. 
But when you arrest a drug dealer, the drug rate, drug dealing rate doesn't go down. Somebody just steps in his place yep. because the profit is so high. It's a market opportunity. Anyway, Block says, we've only to lose our title as a place where people are being shot down in cold blood in mass. Mayor Nagan, let's go free enterprise. We won't be a chocolate city. We'll be a drug city instead. Safer and a lot more prosperous. I think it's a great idea. I don't think it's going to happen in New Orleans anytime soon, but hopefully it will happen in New Hampshire. Hopefully the entire state of New Hampshire will uh, finally come to uh, to its senses after uh, legalizing marijuana and discovering that the, the, the state hasn't crumbled to uh, it hasn't fallen to pieces, then we can take on other drugs and we can legalize those as well and show the world that drug legalization does work, that society does not crumble when drugs are legal. In fact, that people are safer than they've ever been in the past. Not only you and I, who may not use heroin, but also the heroin users will be safer as well. They won't get impure substances. They won't have overdoses uh, from, from uh, a dangerous black market product. There's there's so many reasons to legalize drugs. It's the only sensible thing to do. Violent crime related to drugs would almost disappear. Um, yep. And overdoses would it, it, largely, at least accidental overdoses, would largely disappear. I'm sure there's some people out there that would say, oh, boy, I can get as much heroin as I want because it's cheaper now that it's free. I'm going to die. I'm going to take as much as I want, and they'll die. would be free. It still costs money. Did I say free? Yeah. I'm sorry. It would, not that it would be free. I'm Goodbye. Good riddance. Yeah. Darwin Award for you. I, I'd rather I'd rather um, somebody die from using heroin of their own choice than me or my wife have to die in order to uh, you know give them fifty bucks so they can go get their next hit. Exactly right. It's been Ian here with you. And Mark. And uh, we wrap up another exciting and fun week of Free Talk Live, but another one starts Monday night, so join us then and join us online in the meantime, where the conversation continues at freetalklive.com, and have a great weekend, everyone. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supply, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.